In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. Hey everyone, this is Bradley Shlepsky, co-founder and editor-in-chief at MerchantFraudJournal.com. And this week on the podcast, we have part two of my conversation with Melissa Solis, head of Gaiac Systems, and Brett Peterson, executive vice president of sales and client relations at Gaiac. We're going to be talking about the impact of regulation on the fraud ecosystem and why one fraudster opened 16,000 bank account applications. It's a great conversation. Really appreciate Melissa and Brett coming on the podcast. And as always, you can get all the latest merchant fraud tips and tricks at merchantfraudjournal.com. Yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable when you hear stories like that. I'm curious when you're dealing with these types of situations and you're you're dealing with professionals who are coming to you and you're in big fortune 50 companies and what is the conversation like this is kind of bringing my initial point full circle in that do these people feel angry do they feel embarrassed i i can't imagine that they feel indifferent because even if you're working at a fortune 50 company and you're as corporate as corporate can get and people are very professional and they're in some ways detached. It's not a small mom and pop business. That's this is their livelihood. These are professionals getting paid to do a job. It still has to be really, really shocking and disconcerting and upsetting to people that they're seeing this go on, I would think. Very much so. Uh, and I would say the tone that is it's very serious uh, and they, they're, they're, they're fairly well educated on, on who can provide services and they just want it to move fast. They want to fix the problem. Whether the problem was human error, if someone called and changed a bank account, then I think there's a little more frustration. If it was a business email compromise, someone clicked on something they shouldn't have, that, that's a whole nother story. That's a more systemic problem that they have that they have to fix. So I just find it, uh, it was very interesting how fast those companies were willing to move when they recognized this, this this gap uh, and had to fix immediately. But yeah, I, I think that the, the general tone is they're extremely serious. They want to move fast. And then when the procurement gets involved, um, they move them out of way pretty quick. Why do you think that this problem isn't taken more seriously now at this type of level? You're basically coming to me and telling me that you have sophisticated people at top companies who are obviously responsible for this in, in some way because they're the ones that are on the sales call with you. And what is their excuse? Maybe that's a bit harsh, but I feel like it's the right word to use for not taking care of this sooner. It's not that this is an unknown problem at this point. Yeah, I, I, I would not say excuse because I think a lot of people that if, if you go to any trade shows, if you attend any webinars, if you read any, uh, you know, if you're part of any news, uh, you see fraud every day, you know it exists. 
for a lot of large corporations and even smaller corporations, it's resources. It's the process you have to go through. It's, um, you know, we've used this company for so long to change it. It would impact us. How many systems would it impact? And what happens is a lot of times, you know, regardless of whose fault it is, the ball keeps getting pushed down uh, the hill. And I mean, a really good example, example, excuse me, is the fraud that's going on right now at a federal level. I mean, if, if our government is not even making the necessary change to stop fraud, how can we expect the companies to do it, right? So I think that, you know, it's we've got to change the way we think about fraud. And we also got to all own it. We all have to play a part in stopping it. And I think that if as a company, if we're going to keep that mindset that, you know, change and cost, we, we, we can't look at it that way. Because now consumers are starting to stand up and say, no more. If you're not going to protect me and make sure someone's not committing fraud against me, then I'm going to go shop somewhere else. I'm going to take my business somewhere else. And I think one of the things also that stood out to me in the uh, study that we com completed was that the age of where most of the fraud is, is committed. So, you know, I remember, you know, 10 years ago where you heard about senior fraud, where, you know, that was the big rave that, you know, people were committing fraud against senior citizens, which was horrible. I mean, I have people commit fraud against my mother. But now what we're seeing is that, you know, when we did this study was the largest age group of consumers who, you know, had identity theft committed against them were 35 to 44. Well, what's happening is, is that age group is educated about what they can do. They know how to get their voice heard. And I think that, you know, they're going to hold businesses accountable if they're not protecting them. Right. It's definitely something that I think the average consumer is certainly more aware of. At the same time, though, I'm curious to hear a little bit of pushback here. If the perception that people will actually move on to other businesses is empirically significant. And I'm interested to hear if you've seen that in your data only because I know being a human myself and knowing many humans that generally were pretty lazy about moving, <laughs> moving vendors. And I think rightly or wrongly, there is kind of a perception that this is just the way that it is. When it happens, you're obviously angry, you deal with it. But I don't know that I would think that if I went to X merchant and this happened, that Y merchant would be any different. I would just assume that they're all doing the minimum because it doesn't make the money to try and protect me. And that would be it. But maybe I've just been around fraud too long and I'm cynical, as I've said many times on this show. So I'm curious yeah. if you uh, if you have any data to that effect, that that is really something that you're seeing ex post facto where there's a significant drop off. And so please share that. I'm, I'm interested to hear. No, that was one of the things that was really brought out through the study. And I will tell you that there are stores I won't shop at because they've not protected me and kept me safe, right? There's certain responsibility that you have to make sure that you're verifying information. And so one of the things that came out through the study was is that 12 to 13% of consumers are unlikely to do future business 
with a financial institution where a checking account, credit card, or loan was opened in their name, even if they are satisfied with the assistance provided by the FI. Um, they also further went on to say, however, among those who were dissatisfied with the assistance provided to them between 42% on credit card and 50% at 6% on consumer loan, uh, of the consumers were unlikely to do business with the FI in the future, depending on the type of account involved. So we looked at it from a financial institution. However, what we're hearing from consumers and companies alike is they are very concerned now because they're realizing that it's, you know, yes, they can, they'll take their credit card, they'll take their loan, they'll go to another financial institution, but also retailers and other companies are concerned about reputational risk too, because we have those conversations with our customers. And, and the cost to get a new customer is such that it's much easier to keep that customer. So the, they're all very aware of the responsibility that they hold. Yeah, and I, I would just, I hope we don't get to that point that you mentioned where it's just, you know, this mindset that if it's not our, uh, if it's when, and all these companies, uh, you know, are, 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 we're going to be dealing with it. And I, I think we're probably raising a generation. There's a little more to that yes. happening right now where people just like, oh, well, if, you know, it, it was a data breach that, you know, it's it, it's OK, I'll change my password or whatever the, the, the thought process goes. And it's unfortunate. And, and I think I think companies need to be held accountable, especially if they're moving around PII information like they are. And if they're not really good safeguards of it don't have a culture of compliance. And I'm, and I'm, I'm concerned. You think about the fintechy space and, and a lot of different things that are going on in that right now and you know, moving things faster. If we get to that point, I'm really afraid because then, then all bets are off. Well, Brett, you totally read my mind because I wanted to transition into the other half of this, which is the regulatory side of it and how these companies are being held accountable legally for this type of information. And I'm curious on your end when you're talking with people, I'm sure that this comes up, but what your thoughts are where the equities would be here. And maybe this is a, a bit of a, a hardball question here, so to speak, but as as a team that's dealing with this all the time, you're obviously dealing with the people that are entrusted with protecting this information. I'm sure 99% of them are upstanding people trying to do the right thing, trying to do right by their customers. They don't want to see anybody get hurt. At the same time, these things do happen. And I'm curious where you guys feel the line would be for what is a reasonable expectation for what the legal ramifications for this type of activity should be on the merchant side that fails to protect the information. I'm, I'm happy for you to take that in whatever direction you want, whether it's what's currently done and how you feel about that or what could be done or should be done in the future? Well, I'm actually going to take it a little bit different because one thing I will tell you is I never try um, to pass judgment without understanding all facts. I think that it's, it's you know, a slippery slope and I don't think it's one we any of us should take because, you know, a lot of times there are facts that we're not aware of. Um, and so I never want to, to do that. I think that obviously um, there are regulatory bodies that ensures that consumers are not being taken care of or taken advantage of, excuse me. You have the FTC, you have the CFPB, you have Department of Justice. I mean, you have the OCC and there's a bunch of other 
other, you know, regulate regulatory bodies that are out there every day doing a great job trying to protect consumers. What I think has to happen is based on my personal experience and what we really uncovered in the study is that it has to be easier for a consumer to be able when they are being a, you know when they are a victim of identity theft or identity fraud it has to be easier for them to be able to correct it it should not take someone a hundred hours to go in and just try to to clean up something that you know was committed of the, they were a victim of right they had no part of and so that's one thing I think that does have to happen is you know, we have to somehow come together and make it easier for someone who is a victim of identity theft or fraud to be able to clean that up on their credit. Because let me let me tell you, when a consumer or a business is affected and they're not able to get the services that they need to live or take care of their children or to provide for their family because of identity theft and something that's been put onto their credit and, and they're having to spend hours and hours and hours to clean it up and they can't do business or provide for their family because of that, that's a real issue. And so, you know, I think that's the one thing that I will say that I think needs addressed. And, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I think it's gonna take everyone coming together and working on it, uh, you know, providing a solution, uh, but that's something that has to change. And there's one thing I'd add to that. We, we also have to be careful here uh, that, we're, that we're being mindful of of companies that are in business to help protect the consumers, right? So we passed legislation that prevents, say, uh, ID proofing or ID verification. Now we've gone the other way. So you think about the GDPR, you think about different types of legislation that's been passed to protect consumer data. So it has to, the, these tools and, and this data has to be available to the right people to, to help protect everybody. And if they make it so stringent the other direction, and, and, and conceal their data while they're hurting the consumer that they're actually trying to protect. Right, so I wanna ask a specific type of question. Obviously, I don't know all the details, but for some of the larger data breaches that we've seen, like at Marriott uh, last year, the year before, I don't know, time has kind of lost all meaning since Corona, but whatever, whenever that happened, um, there was, a lot of press about it. People were freaking out that hackers were able to do this. It just happened to Facebook two days ago or, or yesterday. I'm curious what your thoughts are for those types of situations. If you if you think even that any penalties are even warranted, if they're going to help the situation, is there a lack of motivation that this this type of of punitive action legislation that would would force fines to give more of a financial incentive do you think that that would help do you think that that would hurt do you think that it would not make any impact either way i'm curious if there's anything from that perspective that that you think can be done or should be done well i'll tell you uh, again going back without having all the details and i know that sometimes we read the news and we don't have all the facts um, I do think that obviously our regulators, um, you know, with the CFPB, the FTC, and all the other regulatory bodies that are involved, they are working diligently every day 
um, to make sure that consumers are protected. And, you know, if you go to the CFPB website or the FTC, there, there are fines that are passed when consumers are not protected, right? So I think the biggest thing that, you know, companies should hear is that you cannot no longer depend status quo. You have to have multiple um, levels that's, you know, that, that you're using for your uh, fraud and risk tools, like Brett was talking about, having a complete platform that really starts from the moment a consumer or a business comes into your space, through enrollments, through the payments, identity, and ongoing compliance. That is the key to winning. You have to use solutions that uses uh, not only alternative type data, um, but, you know, the normal type of data, and then weave that in with all the other things that are available. Also, being able to verify a bank account and that that name is attached to it. So when someone requests to update their bank account information, being able to verify the status of the account is open and valid, being able to say, yes, that is Melissa Solis's account or that is Guy X account. So that you know that it's not a fraudster that's created synthetic identity or is trying to take over an account. Being able to verify when someone wants to update a phone number or an email, having the right tools to validate it and know that, that, that number one, that email was not just created, that you see activity tied to Melissa with that email address that's been good activity. Those are all things that are available in the marketplace. So what we've got to do is relook at what we're using and, and provide a solution that really gives us an end-to-end -end look from beginning to end. That's how you're going to win. So, you know, I think if companies refuse to make those changes and, and decide to go status quo, then, you know, regulators are going to find them. Regulators are going to take action against them because they're available, but they're not utilizing them. And I think that it's real important that the message is, you know, really getting out to businesses is look at what you're doing. Because if you're not taking the, the necessary steps, you're not just need to worry about regulatory, um, you know, activity, but also your consumer is going to stop doing business with you, which is, you know, at that point, if consumers don't come to your business or, or buy products or services from you or get a loan, then, you know, that's the real issue. I love it. That was, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> um, all right. So a little lighter, a little lighter topic, uh, before you go, I would be remiss as we like to do on this show. If I did not ask for the craziest stories that you can come up with or that you remember about some kind of attack that you saw and you just wanted to do a slow clap for and you thought wow that is that is beyond the pale and i'm i'm five percent impressed <laughs> at the yeah. either the audacity or the scale or anywhere you want to go with it yeah no there's a lot of stories that's what makes this industry fun um and you always feel like you're on the side of good you know trying to help prevent some of this stuff and we saw we see it all the time on the on the vendor side. There was one example that actually came up just last week. So, one one popular technique to validate a bank account is to do something called a micro deposit. Right? They they deposit a penny or up to ninety nine cents into your bank account. Um, and and the the thing is with these services, they never withdraw that money. So we had a customer tell us that they had a person submit sixteen thousand applications. <laughs> 
Now, now think about that for a minute. That's not the biggest dollar fraud. I mean, if, if it's a, a penny to 99 cents. But if they did it 16,000 times, think about the, the amount of uh, time and labor just in the application process alone. And so that was the 16,000. They actually had 10 examples of that, this one company. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think that's going to be hard to beat that one, so I think I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> Brett's going to mic drop as we as yeah. we had as we as we as we cut the mic on the podcast. <laughs> so, guys, I really really appreciate you coming on. Um great conversation. Thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing this really important information in all seriousness. It's a huge problem. Love the research that you guys did and really hope that merchants will take a lot from this conversation. There's a lot to unpack here, but it's really important because it's a it's a huge problem, as you said, that's only growing and can be really, really devastating if you don't get a handle on it, both consumer-facing with your reputation and internally with silent theft, getting skimmed from somewhere in your organization. So thank you so much for being willing to come on here and, and spend your time to help our audience understand it a little more. So why don't you let us know where they can find this report? I highly uh, recommend downloading it, checking it out, and then we'll sign off. Well, first of all, thank you. We uh, really appreciate the time, enjoyed the conversation. So the report can be found on the GIAC website. If you went to www.giact.com, you can download the report there. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for having us.